This is the Gambling Gauchos. I'm telling y'all right now, the country's gonna find out. Everything runs through Lubbock. Everything runs through Lubbock. Somebody turn on some damn music! You're listening to the Gambling Gauchos. Talking Texas Tech. Betting on the Big 12 and beyond. We've got everything you need. Money lines, memes, and matadors. Well, you want to quit, Ethan? That'll be the day. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro. The Money Line Matadors, the Casino Cowboys, the Parlay Picadors. You see, in this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend those with loaded guns and those who dig. You dig. With the Gambling Gauchos. Oh, and one more thing it's all West Texas. It always has been. Welcome into the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Rowe. He's Kyle Jacobson. A rip-roaring afternoon we have. It's actually later than normal as we record. We just had an interview with Thomas Mooney in the Cardinal Sports Center studio. At underscore new slang, if you want to catch Thomas Mooney, you can also catch him about 20 minutes when we slip his interview into this episode. Uh, In the meantime, sit back, relax, and listen to us, or go online while we talk and order some swag from Cardinals Sports Center. Uh, You can do it at mycardinalsports.com. You can get you an all-West Texas shirt. You can get you a a Gauchos hat, uh, a Gambling Gauchos shirt. Or Texas Tech gear, Matadors gear, whatever you want. It's there at mycardinalsports.com. Of course, if you're in Lubbock, you can stop by to the Cardinals location here in Lubbock. Over on 60s-ish, 65th? 68th and slide. Ish. Ish. Well, it's, you know, 69th-ish. A little south. uh, North. North of 69th. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kind of over by the, the chicken shop. In between the chicken shop and the bank. We're recording a little bit early this week. Do you know what that means? Oh, it is, it's Tuesday. Right. And that means... People have even more time to listen to this episode. Right. And make plans to get to Rahino before they open on Thursday this weekend. I would recommend getting some barbecue, whether Thursday, Friday, Saturday, making that your game day meal. Look, it stores really well. I've... I've gone up there to Olton and bought mm-hmm. like $80 worth of barbecue, and then I just yeah. eat it for the next four days. Uh-huh. So go, yeah, we, go we whenever together, you want. We together, had a soft cooler, brought it back with us. Yeah. Now we have a, a big-ass cooler that, that's hard that we could take down <laughs> We could there fit even more Rahino barbecue in we there. Could, we could... Did you know one of our Picadors sells uh, whole beef slabs? No. Learned that today. The more you know. So maybe we need to just buy a slab from him. I'm not going to shout out his business, but if he wants to advertise, we could certainly do that. 
Yeah, go go follow on social at Rahino BBQ. They've got their mobile food truck schedule, and uh, they just tweet out mouthwatering pictures of specials yeah. they're running. It, I was going to say so we could good. buy a slab of beef and have them cook it for us. Yeah. Any update on? I wonder if they do that on the gaucho and is that going to be a sandwich? Is that a plate? Oh, we need to we need to ask them. Be we so good for the them. brand, for the Rahino brand. Yeah, have you got some personal news, Kyle? Okay. We normally just talk about sports here. Yeah, yeah. let's get uh, personal. Get, getting to know the gauchos. Yeah, I was looking in the mirror the other day. Uh huh. Like I, in a literal sense or metaphorical sense? No, in the well, I also do that quite a bit, and it's probably <laughs> not good for my mental state. But well, actually, it probably is it really good be. for my yeah, mental yeah. state. Yeah. Because I'm a little I'm too self-aware sometimes. You know, I figured you for a Justin Timberlake uh, a mirrors kind of guy. If you were going to do a... There's a cool um, edit of that song. Sure it's like was. the regular, like, it's like I'm a mirror. And this guy goes, uh-huh. way ho. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> My yeah, mirror's yeah. staring back at me. Way ho. Right. No, so it's, the, it's were, the girl from the TikTok. That's probably what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were looking into the mirror. I didn't mean to interrupt yeah, you. Yeah, I just... Uh, I've, so I'm starting to get a neck again. Just flick on. Oh yeah, yeah. Big flex. Yeah, it's like I hadn't seen that in a while. So I just was like, oh, it's kind of a we call it in the weight loss industry a non-scale victory. Okay. So it's just nice to kind of look at a nice kinda, NSV. Yeah. Oh, you're aware. Yeah. What? I'm quick <laughs> on my feet with acronyms. <laughs> you do love acronyms. <laughs> uh, but I did just want to say uh, we're also, if anybody wanted to get into it, uh, another personal note doing well. I don't know if you are doing it, but I, I'm doing Sober October, um, which I didn't really plan this, but I'm absolutely ripping off what uh, Rogan and Bert and Tom are doing. Can I uh, ask a clarifying question on Sober uh-huh. October? Yeah. Does that mean completely dry or just like you can't yeah, dry. be in an altered state of mind? Dry, yeah. Because I, I really don't. I have one beer at a time. That's right. like all I do. So I'd be disqualified? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I won't be doing... Oh, you! I mean, then. you could do some elements of it, because it's also a, a workout every day. I won't drink in between beers. How's okay. that? Yeah, okay. you're not drinking anymore. But you're not drinking any less. Yeah, yeah. I but it's a, it's, I a it's a workout every day. It's a workout. Just trading in some whiskey for some beer. Right. It's a a workout every day. Sober October. If anybody wants to partake, I'll join also you. have a. I'll join you on the workout part. Okay. Uh, I don't have like a gym membership, but I'll do sure. set the number of push-ups, and I'll do. I'm I'm doing a hundred. I'll do a hundred push-ups with you every okay. day for October. Now well, today's the, the door third. Uh huh. I'll catch. Or today's the fourth. Today's the fourth. I'll catch up. Okay. There you go. So I'll do them today, and then I'll have three hundred more to catch up on that I'll phase in, and I'll do a hundred push-ups a day with you. So if anybody wants to uh, join. If you want to pick something you want to do every day in October, um, if you want to pick something to give up in October and, and stay sober from, um, it's kind of like uh, the Gaucho's Lent, I guess, if you want to look at it that way. But it's something we can do together. Uh, I also have some other goals that I've set with the Picadors. If you want to be a Picador, you can join uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash gambling gauchos. We are hot right now. On fire lately. People are just joining left and right. Uh, you do not want to miss out. It's not like we have a cap, but it, well, well, we might, we might cap it at a hundred or something. You should get in before we decide. Yeah, that, that we, we got, want we've cap. gotten too big. Yeah, because we didn't know how many we're going to join. No, we we had a low bar for ourselves, I think, in that respect. Yeah, and then like, I, I like, think it'd be cool if thirty people were in it when we launched it. Probably the exact wrong time. 
Like, I think the first Discord conversation I remember was during the conference baseball tournament. Yeah. And then you go into the offseason after that. So it was like, yeah. Not it's a great time for summer, like a yeah. ton of sports discussion, but football's back and people are all in. Yeah, so it's absolutely. been heating up lately. Anyways, I've got a, a, a goal for the, for the month that uh, if I don't hit the, uh, the goal, it can be a charity involvement as well. So if you set a goal for yourself and you, you hit it, you can make a donation, or if you don't hit it, you can make a bigger donation. Whatever you want to do, it's just, especially this time of year, um, you know, Thanksgiving, getting into Thanksgiving, and then kind of Christmas, it's all, uh, you know, focused on the holiday. And absolutely, and I think if you start that early, it's it's even better. Well, I appreciate you inviting me to be part of that. I, like I said, I'm probably not going to do sober October. But I like this 100 push-ups a day with you. And I'll, I'll uh, share for accountability purposes with the Parlay Picadors every single day when I've completed my 100 push-ups. And you give some, some push-up thoughts instead of the sauna thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to figure out a way. I, uh, I'll be going to the – unfortunately, Aaron Judge hit his 63rd home run tonight or 62nd. He might have hit his 63rd by now. I don't know. I didn't watch the end of the game. Uh, I'll be at the game tomorrow, the final game of the year. And when I bought that ticket, like thousands of seats available, but maybe like a quarter full. But now that Aaron Judge is like making history tomorrow, <laughs> it was packed tonight. And I'm sure it'll be packed tomorrow too. So it'll be a really, really fun playoff atmosphere, I hope. Uh, even though he hit the 62nd today, which I think a lot of people were trying to see. Um, if he hits the 63rd, 64th, 65th tomorrow, that last ball is going to be just as valuable because that's the new record number. Right. So should be a full house tomorrow uh, to just witness a little more history. And it's the Yankees, and it, they always sell out. Good luck. I hope he hits number 63. To section 136. And or 64 to you. Yeah, absolutely. See if I can grab. I, are you a glove guy? No, I'm a hat. If okay, if it's actually coming at me, I'll just pull my hat off, try to catch it with that. I was gonna say I could stick a beer up there, but we just talked about sober yeah. October. Right, you won't have a beer in your hand. Right. How? Let me ask you this as a philosophical question uh-huh. to assess your character. To what extent are you willing to like? You know, look. You can either stay in your silo and like if the ball comes to you, you can like lean over. Mm-hmm. You can elbow somebody. You can run out of your seat into the aisle. How aggressive are you willing to get for a foul ball? For a foul ball, just any foul ball? Yeah. Not aggressive at all. I do not care. For, I'm not a I'm Aaron, not a foul ball guy. For Aaron Judge or, or for Josh I'm, Young home run. Ooh, Josh Young for home run. For his fifth home run of the season or whatever it would be. Yeah, I would be a little more aggressive for that. If it's the ninth inning and it's sixty three. I'm punching an old woman in the face and trying to get this ball. Like <laughs> now, I'm on the front row of 136. I think it's it's either right beside the the bullpen or right behind the bullpen. So I mean, if it's right there, I don't know if it lands in the bullpen and it's a Josh Young home run. I'm gonna be like, hey man, I'm a I'm a Red Raider. Let me let me get that. I caught one foul ball one time. Yeah. Texas Tech versus Oklahoma State, actually, as fate would have it. We're still on getting to know the Gauchos, so I'm actually going to tell the long version of this story. My wife, not a huge sports fan, 
she she likes football. She likes basketball. I was trying to get her into baseball, and she was like, nobody scores. It's so boring. It's, and I was like, it's not, like especially the college game. You know, college games are like 11 to 6. It's not like pro baseball where it's 4 to 3. We go to a game 0 to 0 after nine innings, and Oklahoma State wins 1-0 in the 10th inning. It was like the worst baseball game I could have taken her to. But I do catch a foul ball, a little bit anticlimactic. I was like, well, okay. And there was this, I don't know, nine-year-old sitting in the row in front of me. I was like, here you go. This is probably a lot cooler to you than... Now, if it had been like a Josh Young Rangers foul ball, maybe that's a cool story. But I was, I caught, I was like, okay, that was fine, I guess. I can go buy this same baseball at Academy. So that's the one time I caught a foul ball. I didn't have to be aggressive for it. Like, came no, to me. I... I, I, and I've never had a like a live play foul ball. One time, me and my dad went to a Rangers game, and I was—I might have even been at college in college at this point. So it's not like I'm a little kid, but you know, you go to a baseball game with your dad, and you kind of get back in that mode. Uh, we're we're we like went to the batting practice and all that. We are standing in the outfield, and Joe Nathan looks right at us. There's not many kids out there, maybe like two little kids in front of us. Joe Nathan looks right at us, the closer, and throws the ball right to my dad. Like, unprovoked. He just like throws the ball right to my dad. It's my, it's my dad in the chest and bounces <laughs> down to these little kids. And we were like, oh, well. <laughs> I mean, we probably would have given it to him anyways, but it would have been cool to catch a ball from Joe Nathan. And, and then it just, my dad was like... I saw so the uh, the Round Rock Express, you know, they built the Dell Diamond when I was like seven or eight years old. Round Rock Express was a big deal in Austin because we didn't have pro sports back then. We were barely getting minor league sports. We had the Round Rock Express and later on the Austin Toros. But anyway, I saw an Andy Pettit relief uh, rehab start. Yeah, in Round Rock, and like it was one of those moments. So I was introduced to baseball. Like the first World Series I watched was Braves Yankees. And so my mom is like, that's Derek Jeter, that's Bernie Williams, that's Daryl Strawberry. Like, these are the first baseball names I ever know. It was like the Yankees of the late 90s. And it was a little bit crazy because I hadn't been to any pro sport event by that point in my life, I don't think. To, like, see him walk up and down the tunnel, I was like, oh, my God, it's Andy Pettit. Like, I've seen his face on TV a million times, and he's 20 feet away from me right now. It was so strange to see a pro athlete in the flesh for the first time. I was like, "Yeah, oh my god, it's Andy Pettit wearing a Round Rock Express jersey." That's pretty awesome. That man, I wish Lubbock would have got a Double A team. I, I love Texas Tech baseball. I love going to Texas Tech baseball games. Those minor league games are something. There, have you been to um, Hodgetown? Not yet. You got to get out there, man. It's awesome. Um, I drove to Midland to watch you Darvish and Mitch Moreland playing a, cause you know, they go to Frisco. Yeah. But Frisco is in Midland and you Darvish was pitching and Mitch Moreland was on a rehab. I know those so rehab Mitch starts Mor- are so fun. Mitch Moreland's playing first. You Darvish is pitching. Even he only though, pitched like two and a half innings. Exactly. But that's the thing is like, they're going to throw 30 pitches, still. but it's like, Oh my gosh, you Darvish is like yeah. on the mound against the rock hounds. <laughs> so good. Okay. There's a Texas tech football game this week. Oklahoma State in Stillwater. They're ranked number seven, four and zero. Pretty big win, I thought, against Baylor last week. Um, 
spread right now is nine and a half. Have you seen much of Oklahoma State this year? Do you have a, a – we'll get to our picks later. Yeah. But what's your kind of – I think the initial thought for most onlookers is, okay, Oklahoma State's a top-10 team. This is going to be your toughest game of the season. Do you have an alternate or additional takeaway? I agree. And I think that Oklahoma State's the best team you've played so far. But I don't know that they're the most tested team you've played so far. I think Texas certainly – was a more tested team even three weeks ago, two weeks ago. And I think in, in many respects, Kansas State was a more tested team playing Missouri and Oklahoma and Tulane. Tulane kind of lost an inexplicable game and then won another one. So, man, is Oklahoma State the best team you've played yet? Yes, are they just absolutely battle-tested? I mean, they played Baylor. But I was not impressed with any of their non-conference. I just wasn't. I, I think Arizona State was a dumpster fire. I mean, they're one of the worst teams and in the Power Five, right? Yeah. So, I think they've showed a lot of things. And I think, in some respects, you just kind of have to say, well, they were good last year, so until they're not good, they're good. Um, and I know they lost Jim Knowles, and I know they lost five or six, you know, really good players from that team, uh, including a, a linebacker who's selling out jerseys left and right in Detroit. Have you seen this? Uh, Malcolm Rodriguez is like killing it with Detroit, even though their defense sucks. Um, great offense. Hey, Detroit overs until Vegas resets it to oh, like yeah. 72. Um, but. In the in the same vein, I I don't know that Texas Tech is good. That's what is frustrating me looking at this. I don't think Oklahoma State is a top seven team in the country. I think they've got some pretty severe vulnerabilities. I was watching highlights just of their games against Power Five competition to this point because I don't really know how much you can glean from them beating up on Arkansas Pine, Pine Bluff. Arizona State couldn't finish a drive. They only scored seventeen points. Yeah. Gashing them up and down Gash. the hashes, the seams, like deep routes, 20 yards over the middle all day. And, and and Baylor did a lot of the same. And you were able to do that against Texas? Were you? Yeah, I think Miles Price had a good game. I thought you hit a couple over the seam there with the tight ends. You hit Xavier White late against Kansas State. Yeah. Same respect. If you could exploit that, which I don't know if you have the offensive line protection and the consistency and accuracy from Donovan to do that. But that looks like it's open. Um, they haven't run the ball terribly well. Mm-mm. Spencer Sanders has actually run it more than I realized. He's got like 10 to 15 carries per game. I think most of that probably on scrambles. But traditional run game, I think it's about four yards per carry. You know, It's not bad, but it's not good either. I think you could make them one-dimensional and – if you can make them one-dimensional and pressure Spencer Sanders, I do think that's a, a an avenue to success for you. But if you can't finish the play, like a few times happened against Hudson Card, Adrian Martinez, mm-hmm. and he is either scrambling outside the pocket and making a throw down field or just running it, then it might not even matter. When I, and I talked about against Kansas State, the, the whole key to the game was getting an early lead. Because you have to make, you have to dictate terms. Uh, Kansas State is not a team that you can get dictated to. 
and win. And I think Oklahoma State's a lot of the same way. Uh, they they got up on you last year and actually stomped on your throat. Well, they didn't need to score. Right. I mean, there was no pressure on their offense last game. They are 84-4 and four in the Gundy era when they scored 20 or more. Wow. That can't be right. When they allow 20 or less? Yeah. Okay. That's not the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. So I, you that's, know. That's what I meant to say. This is one of those, I'm not going to predict a win, but if you win, I think it looks like this. Their run game averages four yards per carry or less. You force Spencer Sanders into a lot of obvious passing downs, and you apply a lot of pressure that either results in sacks, God willing, maybe a couple strip sacks, or forces him into bad throws, which we know he's still capable of making bad decisions. And on the other side of the ball, it looks like you exploiting what appears to be a defense that's taking a huge step back. You have to finish drives. You can't be four to one on the turnover battle or four to zero, whatever it was at uh, North Carolina State. And so, uh, hey, if Donovan has a game where suddenly we're gashing people up the seam for 15 to 20 yards at a time and uh, you make them one-dimensional on offense, force Spencer Sanders to be the bad Spencer Sanders that we've seen, I think that's how you win this game. I just don't know if I'm confident enough to say that you will do that because the flip side is also true. If they're forcing you to be one-dimensional and you're playing from behind and you're passing every down, maybe they can take some of that away. And look, still a good team overall. I don't think they're the seventh best team in the country. I think they're beatable if you play your best game of the season. But I just, I don't want to spoil the Mooney segment, but he said it's kind of gone like good game, bad game in an alternating fashion. Maybe we're due for a good game, but if you play one of those bad games and you've got 17 points in regulation and three turnovers, it's it's just not going to happen. No. And there's another, I wish, it's like, hey, we're doing a, a podcast about this. You should probably pull up the stats you looked up earlier. Um, but when Oklahoma State leads the turnover battle against teams in the Gundy era, they're also a ridiculous, ridiculous winning record. So, I mean, is it as easy as saying you know, and this is going to sound so stupid because it's like the classic keys of the game and you don't know what you're talking about, but hey, if uh, these guys can win the turnover battle and score more than 21 and then force Spencer Sanders to make above average plays, they'll win. Like, yeah, no shit. Sorry, family program. I'll bleep that out. A little late on the button. But it's like just... Like, okay, yeah, you play perfect, you'll win. And I think that's one of those things where there's nothing special here. Hey, left tackle, don't get mauled by a DB. You might win. Yeah, I saw some of the analysis of the K-State game, and of course, the turnovers are an issue. And people are like, well, on that one Donovan interception... Uh, his arm got hit by the right tackle. Well, that's a problem if the right tackle is right. getting pushed into the court. Like, that's still a bad play. Yes. You don't just get to chalk that up as like a fluke. It's like saying, oh, well, that interception doesn't count because it went right off the receiver's hands. Well, that's the receiver needs to catch the ball. And the quarterback should have some pocket awareness that the yeah, whole like, right side is the right tackle collapsing. is right in my face. Maybe yeah. I should shuffle my feet real quick before I let it fly. Right. 
so yeah, uh, I, I think Oklahoma State can be had. I just unfortunately don't think you're a team that is currently built to exploit it. But I look, this team has proven over and over they could be competitive with anyone. And so even if you can't win, I would, I would be disappointed if you're not in this game in the late third, early fourth quarter, just like Kansas State. It was tied in the fourth quarter. And I know you wound up losing by two possessions, and that was after a score and an onside kick. But Can we go through some uh, road games? Yeah. Texas Tech and Stillwater. Mm-hmm. 2020. A wild game. 50-44. to 44. That's the onside kick game. Yeah, you had just taken the lead or tied it up. Mm-hmm. You Took go the for lead. Or go for a surprise onside, which they returned to the house. Miles Price had a uh, an untimely fumble. Mm-hmm. And just just a lot of back and forth. That game was insane. Uh, 2018, 41-17 win. And you were, I think, 17-point underdogs. And the, you, the DeMarcus Felton game. And you won by 24. 2016, 45-44. Missed extra point. Mm-hmm. 2014, 45-35. That was a Thursday night. That was Pat's first action because mm-hmm. so, Webb hurt his shoulder. So that's the first time they would have covered just in this in today's line, nine and a half. Uh, and then you kind of go back to 59-21, 34-17. These were bad. And then back to 2008 was the last time you won there. Well, that was here. Oh, that was – oh, so it's going to be going back to 07. It, yeah. That's you, right. You played them twice in a row here, I guess. So that was actually uh sorry, so the 2010 was away cuz you had to play them away twice. Uh that 2009 game was actually a 24-17 win for them. Was that in Stillwater? In Stillwater. Yeah, so there've been some close games. Been a lot of close games. They've had the better program for 15 almost 15. It's years. almost like they've beaten you worse in Lubbock. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we read those two, we don't well, have to. Well, like, I, I don't want to. Well, the 2014 game that you went 4 and 8 that season. The 2016 team went five and seven, and those are like I don't think Oklahoma State was that good in 2014, but 2016 I think they were a 10 win team ish, right? I mean they, they've won 10 games like eight times in the last since Gundy got there. All right, you want some stats? Yeah. All right, at home in the Gundy era, this, the Cowboys are 86 and 27. Uh, let's see, day games, 88 and 39. It's a two thirty day game, uh, thirty seven and thirty seven against ranked opponents, which doesn't matter much today. But in October they are forty four and nineteen, leading at halftime one seventeen and thirteen, trailing at halftime twenty eight and fifty two. So get a lead at half. There's a trend for you. Um, when scoring first. 49 and 35. Wow. Let's see. Do any other... They've lost eight times when scoring more than 40 points. I was just going to note against Arizona State, they scored on a flea flicker. Against Baylor, they scored on a kick return for a touchdown. And they got down inside the three-yard line on a double pass. So even if you looked at their scoring outputs, 
it's a little bit misleading in terms of what their actual every down offense is achieving. Not that trick plays don't count. I'm just saying that it's not like an actual Spencer Sanders play that is leading to those scores. So like you basically right. have two well, well, one touchdown, one inside the three yard line. I think they got a field goal versus Baylor. They were on like double pass flea flickers and then a kick return touchdown. So outside those three plays, how much have they scored against power five competition? It, I mean, it's not right. a, it's not an insurmountable offense, is I guess what I'm getting at. Like they're putting up, I don't know, 28 ish points on their own before you get into the trick plays and special teams. So again, they they can be had. You could play a game on defense where you hold them to 27 or 31. Yeah, and typically that would give your offense a shot. This offense has struggled, but I think that's where you need to play this game. Is like, okay, t- tell the defense, hey, don't give up more than 31, and let the offense. Do the rest when and score, have a shot. When scoring less than 20, they're 3-18. and 18. Well, yeah. So I, not, not won a lot of Big Ten games. So hold them under 20. Uh, but scoring 20-plus, they're 149-51. and 51. Scoring 30-plus, they're 127-27. and 27, And they've done that every game this year. Uh, scored at least 30. But also, to finish that other point... That just means you have a, an even thinner margin for error on special teams. Like you can't give up a punt return, or yeah. it's the same as a turnover. It's like they can't start a drive on the twelve yard line like you let happen against NC State because of a muffed punt. That stat was even more. This is the one. This is why I want to look it up. So when when Oklahoma State gives up less than twenty points, I said what eighty and four or something. Yeah, seventy three and zero. They are undefeated. When giving up less than 20 points. In the Gundy era? In the Gundy era. That is pretty amazing. Uh, There's also some... I don't know how much correlation there is here, but when an opponent passes for less than 200 yards, they're big-time favorites. Uh, When they gain less than 300 yards, they're 7-13, and which... It's pretty crazy. They've only done that 20 times in the Gundy area. He's been there 18 years. Um, but there's not really a, a correlation or anything else. They have a winning record when they trail time of possession. They have a winning record when they lead time of possession. Um, he, he pretty much has a winning record in everything. Uh, if the opponent third down percentage is 50% plus, they're 19 and 24. Um, win the turnover battle, they're 81 and f- 11. And then commit no turnovers. They're forty-four and four. So again, force a turnover. <laughs> right, hold them. Hold them to less than thirty. It'd be a great week to start the take three. It would be awesome, Spencer Sanders, man. I mean, if they score twenty-eight and and give up three turnovers, do you win? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think so too. Think about it. They're probably going to get maybe ten or eleven possessions. Well, so you're, surely you're scoring off those turnovers. Well, I hope you haven't right. really done That's that the point. lately. I want to talk a little bit about is this game a rivalry? I'll start really high level and say that anyone who's insisting that a game is not a rivalry is kind of lame to me. One hundred percent. I don't understand the gatekeeping on that. 
Me neither. People are like, oh, Tech is just trying to be relevant. Like, do you really think that's going to make us so relevant if Oklahoma State calls us a rival? No. Like, we're not asking Notre Dame to call us a rival. And, and we're not asking Oklahoma State to proclaim to the world that we're betrothed and this is a nationally relevant rivalry. But it's just, we just want to have some fun. Yeah. It's college freaking football. Well, like, who else is going to be your rival at this point? Some guy was bringing up Bedlam, Bedlam which won. You have won 10% of those games. 10%. And you've played 100 of them. Right. It's like 90 to... 10. Is it really? Uh, I thought they won like 16 or 90 18 90 to 19, maybe. Maybe it's 90 to 19. It's like, so first off, don't pull this like, oh, well, we've won nine of the last 11. It's not a rivalry. It's like, dude, that is your entire history against OU, right. by the way. And that's a rivalry. I'm not saying that it's not. But if we're not your rival in the new Big 12, you're down to like Tulsa in the non-con. Do, do they just not want to have a I, rival? I guess. Do I they want to start it. a rivalry with BYU? I'm the opposite. I want everybody... I want... TCU, Baylor, Houston, and Oklahoma State to yeah. all be four rivalries. And maybe not a trophy in every one of them, but you already no. have the saddle. But it, it, it's like a game that means something. Yes. But, okay. Give it, give it a name. In all, in all seriousness, Kyle Lumlang described a rivalry pretty perfectly that like it stings more when you lose. And I felt that with Houston. Yes. Like, yeah, I'm sick of losing to Iowa State. But I was about to be like pissed if we lost to Houston. I was like, I don't want to lose to these guys. I'm glad you came around on that. And it's the same with like Baylor, TCU, Texas, yes. A and yes. But like when when Central Florida gets here, of course I want to beat them. I want to beat everybody. Right. But if they lose, I'm gonna be like, oh, I'm never gonna hear the end of that at work or on Twitter and, or And like back when it was the Big Twelve and it was like Missouri beat you or Colorado beat you okay. and it was an awful loss and it was like yeah, but then you, but then you lose the A and M. Yeah, or even in Stillwater during the old Big Twelve when you yes. were playing A and M and UT, like there were games you dropped in Stillwater, uh, 07, I think. Yes, that like that's you literally dropped that one. Yeah, so I don't get the gatekeeping on what's a rivalry and what's not. Like, and I understand people wanting it to be organic and and maybe that we're forcing it a little bit, but it has been organic. Like, what these people don't understand is that this is a rivalry. It already is. The Xerox U thing? We're not creating anything. Yeah. And for them to be so pompous as Oklahoma State Cowboys to just be like, oh, well, Texas Tech's beneath us because we've beaten them nine out of 11 times. You've never led the series. That's just what I was going to get to. Well, that's ancient history. You, man. No, it's not. It's, It's a series for a reason. You play all the games. It's not like we played in 1842. Right. I, I mean, the, and you had a 20-year lead on Texas Tech and got housed right. early in the series. Almost all of these games, like three-quarters of these games, if not more, are in the modern era. And, like, there's some cool history. I'm going to run through this real quick because that's a key point, that Oklahoma State has never led the all-time series. And there were, like, K-State fans who said they were surprised that the series was tied. And I was like, yeah, not only... I guess if that's a surprise to you, you'll be surprised to learn that they've never once led the... So your first three games, 1935, 1936, 1937, Texas Tech wins all three of those. 1940, you tie. 1941, you win again. So you're up 4-0 to zero to 1 in the all-time series. Now, Oklahoma State then wins the next four. That gets you through the end of World War II. 4-4-1. Four, four, you're tied 4-4. Four, four. Tech wins three of the next five. The other two were ties, so it's 7-4. to four. Oklahoma State... Win, wins one, Texas Tech wins two, Oklahoma State wins one, Texas Tech wins two, Oklahoma State wins two, Texas Tech wins four. You're just building a lead. And that gets you into the Big 12. And so you had a huge lead 
Oklahoma State wins nine in a row from 2009 to 2017. In that 2018 game, in Stillwater as 17-point underdogs, I was certain you were about to surrender the lead in this series for the first time ever because it was tied going into that game. You win not only that one, you win the return trip to Lubbock in Matt Wells' first year, gave you another two-game cushion, and then Oklahoma State has won the last two. So you're tied again going back to Stillwater. And it's not like this huge ancient history. I mean, you dominated them from 89 to 2008. It was incredibly lopsided from, I think, I guess Leach was probably six and four, but Spike Dykes was beating them before. Well, look at it too from the perspective of they were in the big eight far before you got into the Southwest Conference. So even those games in the 50s where you racked up right. a lot of wins, you were kind of, it'd be like if Houston from the American Athletic today was beating Tech in the Big 12. Like you had probably fewer resources. Right. Now, maybe the gap back then wasn't really as large as I'm making it out to be in today's terms, but you also played some historic games. So like 1988, we talked to Rodney Blackshear about this. Barry Sanders wins the Heisman Trophy, but he's playing Texas Tech in Tokyo, Japan. Right. At the very first game in the Tokyo Bowl, which is a brand new stadium they just built there. Japanese people had probably never seen football before. They're going nuts for this game. Barry Sanders has to hop on like a live stream basically at 5 a.m. to find out if he won the Heisman Trophy, and he did. And then he plays in a game later that day in Tokyo. And that's a that's like a really cool footnote in college football history. How many games have been played in Tokyo, Japan? And that was Mike Gundy was a quarterback of that team. Barry Sanders, Heisman Trophy running back, was on that team. Billy Joe Tolliver, I think we lost that game like 55 to 48 or something like that. I mean, a high-scoring shootout, uh, 45-42. Nobody could stop anybody. Like, that's a cool bit of history in this rivalry. It's not just some like, oh, yeah, they started playing in the Big 12 after realignment. Right. You've been playing them for decades. Yes. And you played them in Japan. The all-time series is exactly tied. I could, and we'll talk about the... The, the history of red dirt and the this the cultural significance of Stillwater and Lubbock. Haven't we haven't all these college football fans going back to two summers ago when Texas know you left, haven't been we all been begging for it? Bemoaning the lack of regional, yes. traditional rivalries where everybody's got, you know, is it a cultural fit? Okay, th- there's not a better cultural fit than Lubbock and Stillwater. Let's lean into that and call it a rivalry instead of being like, oh no, we're we're too good for that. Yeah, and if these Yahoos and Stillwater like aren't educated enough or are just too stupid to realize it, all right, then I'm not gonna beg for it. No, like it doesn't you don't have to acknowledge it as a rivalry game. No, and, and if these fans are gonna be if they if they win this weekend and, and they've won the the whatever for the first time, like what these fans don't realize is they're gonna keep playing. You're going to play the next 10 years. And again, what are your other options at this point? You're not playing Bedlam. Just don't have a rivalry game. You can play Tulsa in the non-con yeah. and hype that up if you want. No, we're going to we're gonna name the BYU game because they're at our level. I don't get it. Me neither. I mean, Kansas has Missouri, mm-hmm. which they don't get to play often, but that's the border conference. Kansas the State. The border war. Kansas State. Um, and uh, Baylor. Baylor TCU, TCU, the rivalry, Farmageddon. Um, Farmageddon. Kansas State has several. 
Iowa State has the Cyhawk and Farmageddon. Well, and here's the here's the like, deal. Because, oh, we can't have two rivals. You can only have one rival. This, this is stupid. There were some Texas and OU casuals who were either pretending to not know what Farmageddon is or legitimately don't know. I saw that. And it's because they think every rivalry in the Big 12 right now is whoever Super Bowl against Texas or OU. Right. Well, like it or not, they're gone, and we need to have our own rivalries within the conference. Yes. So we need to lean into Farmageddon and the rivalry. And when Houston is here, East Texas versus West Texas. And, you know. I love that. West Virginia, Cincinnati. Texas. That's going to grow into something great, I think. Texas Tech, Oklahoma State. Like, we need games that have cultural significance, meaning every year. Because, like, let's face it, TCU versus West Virginia, there's just not a lot of juice there. You can only manufacture so much. Like, right. hey, let's even lean into the John Denver thing. It's It gets chippy. Might as well. Yeah. And, and again, you're far away geographically, but culturally, I think you're very similar to the people of West Virginia. 100%. You're a large state public school. Drunk. With a yeah, similar fan base. <laughs> like, let's do it. I, yeah. That, that's what makes the remaining eight, most of them, I think the private schools are a little bit of a misfit. But, like, culturally, Iowa State, Texas Tech... Oklahoma State, West Virginia should all be pretty similar. It's just like where you grew up, you were more likely to go to that college, but the fans are probably pretty similar. The institutions themselves are pretty similar. So I, I don't understand the gatekeeping of rivalries. Well, and especially when there's so much similarity between Texas Tech and Oklahoma State, Lubbock and Stillwater. For sure. Like both of our largest alumni bases, probably DFW, right? Maybe theirs is Oklahoma City. But a lot of kids in DFW, when they go off to college, are probably deciding between Tech and Oklahoma State. A lot of kids in the Panhandle of Oklahoma or the Panhandle of Texas probably yeah. deciding between Texas Tech and Oklahoma State. So I, I just don't get it. A lot of athletes. You, you are absolutely right. recruiting heated battles in basketball and football and baseball, for that matter. And we let a lot of guys get away. James Washington. This also bugs me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Excuse me, we can't call it the Red Dirt Rivalry because that's a an, a long-standing Oklahoma game in Hodgetown. All right, don't play Oklahoma, play Oklahoma State. Yeah, are we even going to play Oklahoma in... Play, play Oklahoma State at Hodgetown. Yeah. Easy. Are we even going to play Oklahoma in baseball I would anymore? I much rather have a fourth game against Oklahoma State than Oklahoma. Right. The Oklahoma State baseball rivalry has been chef's kiss. That's great. It, the, go, they're... Uh, you had some drama there this year. It's the first time you ever went down there. You obviously had the super regional moment. Yeah. Uh, but even more than that, you just have some history with Oklahoma State. And, and and there is legitimate passion there when these two teams play. But Joe Schmo fan base is like, hmm, Texas Tech's not a rivalry because we've beaten them in football a lot. And they don't have wrestling. Shut up. Well, they're like, yeah, I think Baylor is more of our primary rival. Like, no, you've just played important games against Baylor lately. They they're just a dumb fan base, I guess. They don't like, understand like, it. Baylor is never going to look at you the same way they look at TCU as their primary rival. I would say after that, like SMU, Tech, and Texas are probably roughly equal for Baylor. Like A and M back when they were in the conference. Yes. Like an in-state rivalry probably reigns supreme. But, well, but going from a, a public Oklahoma school. To a private Texas school, both of you have your own in-state rivalries. Like they're not going to be your new primary rival. Don't you think Baylor wants to beat Joey McGuire? I don't know. But like, I'm just looking at it from Oklahoma State. It's like it's either Tech or Iowa State at this point for you. Yeah. And Iowa State, maybe that makes some sense because that's an old Big Eight, Big Twelve rivalry. But it seems to me 
Texas Tech is the better fit. For sure. All right, let's talk about this rivalry. We'll continue it with Thomas Mooney, the host of New Slang. We'll get to that and then come back for our Discord mailbag. All right, we're joined by Thomas Mooney, the host of New Slang and Neon Eon country music aficionado. Thomas, how are you, man? Oh, not too bad today. How are you guys doing? Oh, can't complain. Just getting into a little red dirt music for the week. Yeah, let, let's talk. Yeah, this is my wheelhouse. Hopefully. All right. So, uh, first of all, I listen to, I guess, Texas country music. That's pretty much all I listen to if I'm not listening to a podcast or sports radio. Um, is that red dirt? Like, I, I guess I don't know what red dirt music is. I just, it's, it's kind of like pornography, you know, when you see it. <laughs> Rob. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, uh, I'm probably like, I don't know. It, it's one of those things where the, the Texas music scene, the, the the Oklahoma red dirt scene, they, I don't know, probably about 25 years ago, just kind of melded into one thing. And I don't think like anyone actually today probably knows the difference between the two. But, you know, if you if you go back f- far enough, you you do see some sonic differences. And um, I, I think like what the if we're going to just go back to red dirt, uh, what what red dirt is, uh, you can kind of go back really to to two West Texas guys. In in my opinion, they're also Oklahoma guys. That's maybe where like there's some really interesting ties between Lubbock and um, and Stillwater, the Panhandle, and Oklahoma. And that you can kind of pull them to to Bob Wills and Woody Guthrie, more so Woody Guthrie. But you know those guys both lived in and around the panhandle of, of Texas and up in Stillwater and around rural Oklahoma. And, you know, so if, if I was going to give you just like the straight on answer of what red dirt is, uh, I think you can tie it back to those two guys being a little bit more Western swing, of course, with Bob Wills and, and like the, the godfather, the grandfather of, of folk music. And, you know, you at, you splash in a little bit of uh rock and roll and some, uh, Irish kind of, you know, storytelling and, and, and songs about, you know, uh, that, that come from like the Pentecostal side of, of, of things of, and throw some blues in and you, you start making what, what red dirt was and flash forward to like the seventies through the eighties and, and Stillwater, Um, and, and all of a sudden you have this red dirt. Uh, I know a lot of people have kind of called, Bob Childers, the the founding father of Red Dirt. Um, he's a songwriter. Uh, this is one of those like backhanded compliments to, to guys. If, if if you're called like a songwriter, songwriter, you know, it's like uh, you're you're a great songwriter, but we're not going to play you on the radio or something, you know, <laughs> right? Because uh, like just the average person's just not getting it. But uh, yeah, I know I'm rambling here, but um, I, I think like the the main distinctions, like the the differences between Texas has maybe been a little bit more of a uh, stuff that they would play on the radio. And while Red Dirt, like true Red Dirt, was was more maybe of a the Oklahoma version of NPR or whatever, whatever they're playing up there on NPR stuff. Um, not to say like, you know, in the, the early 2000s, what I'm assuming, Rob, that you're you're talking about, like listening to all the time, the the ragweeds and the uh, the Sonny LaRue's and the Jason Bolins. Of course, those guys all got huge, but 
and there's a lot of crossover between Texas and Oklahoma there. But, you know, if we're going straight back to the, the, the origins, if you will, it's, uh, you know, guys smoking a whole lot of pot and, uh, you know, oh, yeah. at this place called the farm and, and <laughs> still water and, you know, bring out the, uh, the, the fiddle and play along to the, the guy playing acoustic guitar and, you know, around a campfire and whatnot. Yeah. I had to be careful myself. I mean, so I was born and raised in Austin and, um, you know, that type of music, I guess just wasn't as prominent there. And I came to Lubbock in 2012 and was introduced to what everybody called Texas country music. And they're like, no, this isn't what they play on the radio. It's not Luke Bryan. It's not all that. It's Texas country. And I was like, okay. And kind of got into that genre and discovered some of the guys you just mentioned for the first time and uh, like Stoney LaRue. And I was like, well, this probably isn't Texas country if these guys are from Oklahoma. And so I've always kind of viewed it as like Texas country falls under the umbrella of how most people use red dirt. But red dirt also includes guys from Oklahoma or maybe even like Kansas and just kind of from that region that are doing more alternative country than than what you would find coming out of Nashville, just in this region of the world, but not necessarily from Texas. So that's when I kind of started to learn like the difference between some of the Oklahoma musicians versus the Texas musicians. And it's kind of cool too. Like I go back to 2013 and I saw Cody Johnson at, uh, why am I blanking on the name? Not chances are the other one, Wild West. And the way he's blown up, yeah, the way he's blown up in the decades since then, like he would not play in Wild West ever again, like he'd have no reason to. So it is kind of cool that some of these guys that you might have seen as some like small bar in Lubbock, like I know Pat Green, I think, got his start on Broadway, like playing at crickets and stuff. And then they they just explode. It's like really cool to see and feel like you have some kind of like homegrown connection because depending on when you were in school, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I saw him play when I was in college. And, you know, now he's a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. There's like that's a huge part of it is like if if there's one thing that that connects the Texas country stuff and the red dirt stuff, it's because it's all grassroots essentially. Um, you know, you're you're talking about especially like early on in the 90s and stuff. Um what's amazing what's amazing to me uh talking with different people has been that we kind of go into these bars today and like they have a full sound system if they have a stage, you know, like there's a board there and like, you're going to guarantee that there's great sound. Um, that's not necessarily how it was back in the nineties. Like even talking with someone like Wade Bowen, uh, he's talked about how, you know, one of the the things that kind of got him, uh, further along in his career more than anything else was that he was able to afford a PA system and, you know, set up at like when you're, going to a place like crickets or like even at blue light, I think they had to set up their own stuff and have like their own sound uh, to run in the very, very early days because it just like the, the infrastructure wasn't there. Um, and, and so, yeah, long story short. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to see how much all of this scene has exploded, but it's also amazing to see the guys that you, you saw, you know, in a, in a place that, you just are never going to see them ever again because they're, you know, they've just exploded as well as far as their careers go. Yeah. And, you know, the reason we're talking about all this is, of course, Texas Tech versus Oklahoma State this weekend, huge football game. And Rob and I, you know, we talked about conference realignment all summer and even last summer when Texas and OU left for the SEC. And one of the things that we've kind of 
bemoaned as traditionalists of college football is that you're losing some of these really historic regional rivalries and talk about cultural fits when it comes to new conference members. And so, like, you know, we've we've lost rivalries like Oklahoma-Nebraska and Texas A&M, Texas Tech. And to me, what makes those rivalries special is you probably have people in your family that went to both schools or depending on where you came from high school, you know, half your friends went off to one school, half your friends went off to the other. And, you know, you you just lose some of that as the conferences get less regional, more national. And so, like, to me, it's kind of weird that BYU is about to be in a conference with a giant public commuter school in Orlando. Like, there's not a lot of cultural overlap there, but, you know, it is what it is. But I really cherish that about Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, is they're incredibly similar institutions, fan bases, you know, I'm sure both have a really large alumni base in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. A lot of kids in the Texas Panhandle probably are down to Texas Tech and Oklahoma State as their final two schools. And so the fact that they share this common thread of the Red Dirt music I think is is really special and uh, that that's able to be maintained through the conference realignment. But for the people that might not be obviously as expert in this as you are, explain the significance of Stillwater and Lubbock on this whole red dirt music scene? Like, why are these two cities and two schools at the forefront of this conversation? Yeah, so I think, like, when you look at music in general, if we're going to, like, just make a uh, a macro, uh, you know, commentary on, on music in America, all music genres are based off of, like, regionalism, you know? And... That's like if you look at Appalachian music, if you look at like Mississippi Delta blues, if you're looking at like rock and roll, like you just know where somebody sounds like where they're where you know where someone's from based off of what they sound like, even on an on an accent level. So that like that very much is the same case with music. And uh, so when you zoom in on Stillwater yeah, like they have a very distinct sound. The same thing with Lubbock. Um, in, in some respects, it has to do with isolation, you know. Uh, sometimes it has to do with like there not being anything. I know a lot of the Lubbock guys, uh, you know, not just like the the guys that are around our age, but especially guys like Buddy Holly's age. Uh, way back then, there was nothing to do. Um, throwing the, the the point that like you know Lubbock is a dry was a dry county forever. Yeah, like all there is to do is is play music and go find beer, you know. And then like all of a sudden, like you end up like just hanging out with people that are within the same mindset, and you're, you know, just sharing the same music, and you're influencing each other in a way that maybe you don't even realize. Um, and you're, well, that's what I guess what you would call developing a sound, and somehow like that's that's simultaneously happening in love it or in in stillwater um i think one of the interesting and maybe things that we don't necessarily talk about often is is just how many it's the population aspect of things where oklahoma obviously has like you know half the population of as like the dfw area right so there's just significantly less people in Oklahoma. And so I think like there's that tight knit aspect of, of things as far as like, once you find somebody who's kind of, you know, playing music uh, that 
you know, it, it's, it's few and far between uh, is, is what I'm, I'm saying. And uh, if you're trying to do it professionally, especially like all of a sudden, like, oh, you know, you end up like um, just wanting to hang around like minded people. And um, distinctly, like, I, I think like what would ends up happening, especially in Stillwater, if we're talking about Stillwater again, is um, you do have these guys who are like just mammoth songwriters uh like i said before like bob childers um and, and even guys what i'm talking about i guess is is guys who aren't necessarily household names like um for example a guy by the name of tom skinner maybe his like uh his biggest um i guess factoid um you know note on him is that for the longest time or not for the longest time but for a while he was playing with a guy by the name of Garth Brooks playing bass. And uh, when he was up in Stillwater going to school, um, but a guy like Tom Skinner stays around Stillwater and is like, just becomes part of the, the fabric of the, that sound, that distinctness. Um, and you, you end up having like characters like that, who they may not ever become household names. They may, may never even get record cuts by huge artists but they end up just being kind of like that foundation of what a a songwriter uh or what a scene is you know and that's the same thing with lubbock there's like so many guys who just end up like you don't ever really know their names unless you're going to these different songwriter nights around town but you know they end up having this massive influence on guys like william clark green and josh abbott and flatland calvary and you know, the list goes on and on. Is Garth Brooks Red Dirt? So Garth, I would say, is not Red Dirt. Um, if you go back and listen to that, I feel like I'm a Garth Brooks apologist. Okay, um, good. Everyone, You're amongst our people thinks here. Of him, everyone thinks of him just like smashing guitars and, you know, being the rock star. Um, but like, if you go back and listen to the self-titled record, there's some really great storytelling and people don't realize like, you know, he's writing at least 75% of those songs. So he is a, a not just a performer. He's a, he's an artist. He's a songwriter, storyteller. Did but you go? No, he's not red dirt. Did you go see him when he was in Lubbock about four or five years ago? I did see him. Um, what was, what amazed me though was like, he was what he was here like four days and had like seven shows. I think and, it, I think it was three days, and they were like, you know, he's gonna yeah. play Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, and it sold out in five minutes. So they're like, he's gonna do two shows on Saturday night, and it sold out in five minutes. And they're like, okay, he'll do two shows on Sunday night, and it sold out. So I think he did five shows in three days, and they all sold out like immediately. Yeah, it, it was just something ridiculous like that. Where um, I only went, I only went to one. Uh, I had a chance, I guess, to go to two, but I said if. I'm only going to go to one. The only way I'm going to more than one is if I'm able to see every single one, because then you have like a, a story, you know, it's either one or, or five, basically, in my opinion. Um, that, that does bring me uh, to a, a interesting question, maybe um, that I'll throw to you guys, throw back at y'all. So Garth, obviously he played uh, the spirit arena five times in a row. Um, what I always wonder is like, what what band would you see like that many times in a row uh especially if it was like a small venue let's say like if it was like the size of blue light which is you know 
maybe 350 people capacity like hypothetically if your favorite band played there like every night would you just go see them every night until they stop playing like when 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 is the sellout like stopping like day 30 day 35 you want to take that one first man i don't i i couldn't even my favorite band of all time is the avet brothers um, and I think you mm-hmm. could get enough of, of a different show to go for a weekend, but I don't know if I would go to five of them. I, I mean, if that's the story and they're at the blue light and they're doing five shows and it's selling out every night, I, I might, but I, I don't know. I, I think I just want the one experience and then maybe see them in a couple of years again. <laughs> I think, yeah, so I'm probably the same way. I mean, I can only... I'm that way with movies too. Like, even my favorite movies, I'll rewatch them once every five years, but I'm not going to watch a movie like twice in a year or anything like that. I think I could see um, Jason Isbell either solo or with his band, you know, several times in a row. I might get judged here, but uh, I would go see. I like John Mayer. I'd go see Mumford. Um, Are they back together? Didn't oh, I they break don't know. up? I'm thinking like past. I saw them in Dallas. Yeah, no, if you if you let me see like any band or musician all time and I could take somebody who's like dead now or hasn't toured in 30 years, that would really open oh, up yeah, Pandora's sure. box. But um, yeah, no, I, I really don't, like even somebody like Garth, I don't know if I would have gone twice in the same weekend. Like as great as it was, I think one experience like that is enough. And like the second time, it's just probably not ever going to live up to the first one, in my opinion. Is the set the same every day? Because that would also change yeah, things. Yeah, I don't know. That, that's where a guy like... I think Jason Isbell would have like a ton of variety. Like he could do one album as a set and then do a totally different sounding album as a different set and, you know, do another two hours. So I don't know that that's my thought on it anyway. Yeah. Uh, I think Isbell would definitely like curate if, if he was, well, he, Jason actually does something similar to this. Like at the Ryman up in Nashville where like he plays like seven days in a row yeah. or something wild like that and it's like a different record every night where they'll play it all the way through and then obviously add songs on the end the back end um i I just wanted that like i I think i could go see somebody probably i maybe i'm just uh a music degenerate where i would go see the same band 30 nights in a row if it was like my favorite band no matter what yeah so i'm 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 a football junkie and i mean i like music who doesn't like music but i'm i'm a I'm a music casual. I'm not going to sit here and claim that I've listened to tons of albums, like start to finish. But so this drives my wife nuts. I record all Texas tech football games. And like, as soon as it's over, I rewatch it. She's like, you just like, you know how it ends. You just saw this. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but I got to rewatch it and learn. Make sure I saw it. Right. Yeah. Learn from it. Now I can pause and rewind and all that. And so, you know, she probably thinks I'm insane that I've watched. I've probably watched the same football game you know, depending on which one, like five or six times, even though I know exactly what's going to happen. And that's the thing that that's probably even worse because at least a live set is going to sound different and there's going to be a different flair and, you know, different order of the songs or, you know, every live performance is different. But, I mean, I will watch the recording of a football game six times and apparently not get tired of it because I still do it. Yeah, no, I hear you on that. Um, during the summer, at least like once a summer, I end up like, you know, going down that rabbit hole of uh, previous Texas Tech, either either uh, 
football highlights of games or basketball stuff mm-hmm. and just i'm just doing the rewatch you know let's uh let's watch 08 uh when when texas comes here and loses let's watch these bowl game comebacks um you know the the, the championship run championship game run i guess a uh, second place run um yeah i, I i'll i'll watch uh you know, games over. Maybe not like like you religiously, as far as like putting it back on right after. But yeah. you know, who? Uh, it, it's it's sometimes nice to to relive uh, both the the hurt and the the joy. Uh, sometimes you, you know, I feel like I'm a glutton for punishment too. Yeah. Well, to be a Texas Tech fan, I think you have to be a little bit. <laughs> There's a certain edge yeah. to Texas Tech fans. Hey yeah. Thomas, I want. Well, I mean, yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say I wanted to ask you one more question. I think you've alluded to this on Twitter before. Um, just kind of generally the intersection of music and sports, but specifically West Texas music and Texas Tech sports. And you know, you've noticed accounts like ours, like we we tweet about there being West Texas in our eye. You know, all the time. That's just kind of become like a really common phrase for. West Texans and Red Raiders to use when they're, you know, denying being choked up about anything. But I think you cited other examples and it seems like Texas Tech specifically and its fans have really embraced um, using musical references like that from our region and incorporating it into the sports world. And so as a guy that can, you know, kind of follows and can speak to both, just kind of wanted you to expand on that because I've seen you allude to it on Twitter, but obviously you're really limited, limited by character count and everything. But I think that's a, a cool phenomenon that I wanted to get your thoughts on. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm looking up to see what I, what exactly I tweeted. I know specifically, um, you know, the, the the song that you're referencing as far as the Panhandlers and Charlie Stout goes is uh, I Ain't Crying. That's just West Texas in my eye, right? Uh, it's been something that you end up seeing used by Texas Tech Sports um, a whole lot lately, right? They've they've used the "It's all West Texas." The West Texas is the best Texas. Yeah. Which side note, like, I think this weekend, I know it's going to be not. I don't know if I'm breaking news here specifically, but you know, the Panhandlers they do have a a new record coming out soon. And the, uh, the whole, um, for those unfamiliar with Panhandlers, that's William Clark Green, Josh Abbott, John Bauman and Clodo Cordell from Flatland Calvary. Uh, that's their, their side group thing. And so they do have a new song on the record called West Texas is the best Texas. Uh, I believe it's coming out this Friday, actually. So I don't think like it's, I'm spoiling anything too much here. Um, and one of our, our our good buddies, Charlie Stout, I know is like one of the co-writes on that song. But you know they're using stuff like that, which has been something kind of said by musicians. I think like where the the other way around it goes um, is, I guess like the first time I ever saw anyone, you know, just sporting the the area code was Reggie Bush, you know, back in his USC days Yeah, uh, yeah. with the area code, like on the, uh, you know, the, his the face black, paint or whatever. Was it 409? Yeah. His no, eye black. 619. Yeah. That's San right. San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. 619. Yeah. Um, and so like 
initially early on it's like the the 806 thing right um musicians use an 806 i know like you know when when we were doing like these uh lovick songwriter retreats it was just kind of dubbed the 806 retreat uh just all lovick guys right even though like half of them end up having like 432 and stuff like that uh area codes actually but um that's something i i think that has been adopted by a whole lot of musicians um and then like you know regurgitated back into sports um and i I think that like you know it's also one of those things where they 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 always kind of say this about you know sports stars is like you know you, you go start talking to people in sports and the last thing they want to talk about is sports and you know it's the same thing with musicians sometimes they want to just only talk about sports um when you know, if you're a sports star, you're probably wanting to be a rock star, actually. So I think, like, the, um, there's a lot of exchange right there, a lot of common ground, if you will. And then, you know, I think, like, if you're just from West Texas, you're just kind of cut from a different cloth in, in many respects. Um, not just, like, if you're born here, but it takes a certain kind of person to even want to live out here, even though, you know, Lubbock is, is we're not like in the middle of the desert, you know, as, as some of our fellow big 12 folks think we are, (laughs) but it it does, it certainly does take like a certain kind of different person to want to live out in, in West Texas. And so I think, um, yeah, like if you're, if you're out here, you kind of like embrace the, the weirdness, the strangeness, the, the dryness, the heat and the the dust and the, the dirt. And, um, yeah, if you're if you're a sports person, you're you're out in those elements too already. And I don't know, I, I'm rambling here, but um, yeah. All right, I'm gonna have you put together a dream bill. Uh, let's say it's 2025. The Red Dirt rivalry is in year two or three. I think the Dust Bowl is gonna win the whatever the poll. Call it the saying. Dust Bowl. Call, yeah, we're gonna put dirt in the concession food. Whatever. <laughs> it's gonna be ten cent tickets. Uh, so it's the Dust Bowl. It's whatever. All right, let's say you play the game at 2.30 and have a a concert the, that night afterwards, either on the field or around Lubbock. Let's put a, a dream build together for Lubbock and a dream build together for Stillwater. Maybe after the game in 25 and then in 26 in the return trip. Yeah, so um, for starters... I'm team Dust Bowl as well. Just get that out there. Um, I think it's just, I don't know, it's just kind of perfect in my opinion. All right, so if we're doing Lubbock first. Um, or make it in a weekend. You know, it's going to be a, think, a, a, like a, like a, well, it's like the Texas Fair, man. It's like the Red Dirt, the Red River rivalry. I want to make it a whole weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we got to, let's see here. I would say we, we kind of have to start out with, you know, are, are we going to bring the, the big question, I guess, is like if we're are we going to dream big and somehow get the artist formerly known as the Dixie Chicks, uh, just known as the Chicks now? Are, are they playing, you know, with the Lubbock ties here? Um, I, I, for some reason, let's just say we are. Let's say we, we can get them. I would say absolutely. You have the, the Chicks headlining um, and then you have like, you know, Amanda Shires playing you have uh the panhandlers playing oh uh, and you know you bring in a whole lot of guests like you get randall king who randall king's 
being a, a big Nashville star these days. We we bring in Wade Bowen. He's a uh, you know he's he's playing the big stage. Um, we got like Red Shahan playing down at Blue Light, like to to to, to end the night, like that kind of thing. Um, I'm trying to think of who else we we would get here. Um, I, I would say that, like that's a pretty good start. Uh, you know, if we're gonna throw in some up and comers, we we end up getting like Slade Coulter and like Grant Gilbert. I know like uh, I can't. If, I don't know if it's uh, I think it is football stuff. People have been like playing Grant Gilbert's stuff. I don't know. If yeah, you the Hub City Shakedown. Yeah, the Hub City Shakedown. That, that's been Her- giant. Um, yeah, if we're if we're going back to Stillwater, I mean, I think you have to start out with just. We have a cross Canadian ragweed reunion show, and you know, right underneath that, another reunion show, the Great Divide, and then you have like Sony Larue, and um, yeah, I don't know. I, the thing is, I hesitate to throw in Turnpike on this because I know like the majority of those guys are OU guys, um, so I don't know if if we necessarily, you know, throw them in on on the Stillwater thing, even though they would definitely play. They would play if you if you asked but uh if we're gonna just keep it to oaky state i say like the in the, the biggest show possible as far as like the the reunions go like a ragweed show is 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 the last of the the big ones to to come back so if we're just dreaming here i would say uh that that's how i'd go maybe you get garth brooks too maybe maybe <laughs> garth comes in just and he plays he plays his red dirt set so <laughs> yeah, the red dirt set. What what's the uh what's the bar there? The the smoking willies or whatever that he started at that's always on Twitter? I can't think of the no, name. No, I'm not actually sure on that. Yeah. Whatever it is. No free ads. Um <laughs> do you think a weekend like that could work? I mean, obviously if you had a concert like that, people would show up, especially in Lubbock and and Stillwater and, and make it a whole thing. But like logistically, if you're having it um, I don't know. Is it too big for Stillwater? Is it too big for Lubbock? And would you do it on a Friday night? Would you do it on a Saturday? I I just don't know how you would work all that out. Yeah. See, the thing is, is it's uh, the the problem I see in any of that is, um, like any of the, our big shows here. Like if you look at like something like Jab Fest, it's always on like the bye week. It's always like on the away game where they'll have something huge here. So, cause, and I think like that's in part just because they kind of know, Oh, you got a home game. Uh, we can literally book us three playing music at whatever venue. And it's probably going to sell out. Um, I, I get what you're saying though, as far as like, if we're going to, if it's at a huge venue, if it's at like the fairgrounds or if it's at um, the Jones, like after somehow after the, the show, um, having a, a bigger show or after the game, having a giant show like that. But yeah, I, I don't know. Like if it's, it's convincing all the, uh, the people with money to do something. <laughs> right. If you start, yeah. if you play that game at 11 AM every year and then just like at three thirty started music in the Jones and it's just an all day thing, that would be so epic. You would have to stock yeah. so much beer though. <laughs> to have. <laughs> Like a twelve-hour run of just people drinking beer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't think about the eleven a.m. start. I mean, like, yeah. If, if it starts at eleven, come on. I mean, 
Absolutely. Let's go. Well, uh, you want to make some picks with us as well? Yeah, let's uh, let's let's do some picks. Cool. Uh, Let me pull out my my sheets here. Yeah, I was going to say before we started recording, we found out that Mooney has all kinds of spreadsheets and uh, analytical matrices that he's going to base his picks off of. So fade them at your own risk. Um, yeah. So we'll In do- reality, it's just an untitled Google Doc. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll save the Dust Bowl for last, and we'll start with a different rivalry game, Farmageddon. Kansas State goes to Ames to play Iowa State. We're using the Action App consensus lines. Kansas State favored by two points, and the total is 45. Do you have a, a gut feel or a pick on either of those? Yeah, see, I know like uh, it's at Iowa State, but I just think that Kansas State's going to cover that. They're going to win outright on that, so... That's my feeling. Uh, I think it's going to be low scoring. What was the the total that you had there? Forty five. Man, see that's a like a twenty four twenty one. It's almost type. like these. I know these. It's almost like these guys are experts on on how to make the lines <laughs> right. here. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be low scoring, but I think it's going to be higher than that. So I would I would take the, I guess the over. Okay. On over forty five. Agree. I I don't know that um, I don't know that Iowa State can score enough to make the over. But I agree if they if they do, it'll be slim. Uh, but I also agree that Kansas State will win. And I I don't know if it's just me like sour grapes about Texas Tech, but Kansas State looked really good. They looked really good against Oklahoma. If Tulane Kansas State shows up against Iowa State, I'll be pretty pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to fade the both of y'all, and I wanted to take the Iowa State money line because it's plus 105, but in a low-scoring game, I might need the two points if it is like a 24-23 or 14-11, to 11. something like that if they lose by one. So I'm taking Iowa State plus two. I stay away from totals that are really high or really low just because on one hand, you want to say it's so low, surely they can both get into the mid-20s. But like Iowa, Iowa State, that total was like 38 or something, and they went under. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to touch the total, but I do think the Cyclones will bounce back at home and win. I'm taking them plus two. Um, another rivalry, this is really funny and ironic. It's probably the least relevant game on the Big 12 slate, the Red River rivalry. Texas is favored for the first time in this game since 2009. They're favored by seven. The total is 65 and a half. What do you think about that one? So, uh, even though, like, you know, I'm a Texas hater, I, I do think that they're legit good um, this year, even though, like, we love the pile on. I think, like, OU is just reeling. Um, I think Texas, I mean, hell, they may score 65 themselves. Um, I, I'm kind of joking. I don't know if they will or not. You know, I, I do think that, like, I would uh, – I think they're going to win over seven. So that's uh, for starters. But, you know, I'm going to say under on the 65. I agree with you that Texas is the better team. But in this game, um, generally the better team is struggles or doesn't play well um, and then needs to come back to win. 
I don't know if they have the the fortitude. And if Venables is who we think he is, like surely at some point he'll get that team back together. Um, I'll take Oklahoma in a big plus seven here, but not very confident. Look at like a gentleman's plus seven. I thought the opening line was absurd. So I locked in Texas minus five earlier this week. Feel really good about that because it's moved in their direction. You touched on it in a rivalry game. You never know what can happen. Our good buddy Kyle Umlang noted that in twenty great friend Kyle Umlang, yeah, twenty fifteen, Texas went five and seven. <laughs> OU went eleven and one and made the playoff, and their one loss was to Charlie five and Strong, seven Texas. Yeah. So I think Texas is clearly the better team. I think that they're actually going to be in the running to play in the Big Twelve championship game. And this feels like a breaking point for Sark. Like, if he wins this, suddenly it's, okay, we had a one-point loss to Alabama. We're in the hunt for the Big 12. We beat our rival, and things are looking up. If he loses this one, They didn't beat know. Texas Tech. Hmm? I didn't say they did. But you said they beat the rival. <laughs> oh. No, okay. <laughs> Sorry, that was over my head. I think it's an important game for him, though. They looked really good against West Virginia. OU looks horrible. A lot of the analytics are kind of catching up on that they're not high on Oklahoma so give me Texas um, I would probably still take it at minus seven but I got it at minus five earlier this week um, college game day going to Lawrence game of the week to see our Jayhawks our Kansas Jayhawks oh my god um, this is kind of spoiling my pick <laughs> started five and oh they're ranked 19th in the country I think they're going to finish six and six yeah um so TCU is favored by seven. The total in that one is 67 and a half. A high total, but two good offenses apparently to this point in the season. What do you think about the uh, matchup in Lawrence uh, that College Game Day is hosting from? Yeah. See, I, I'm, I've definitely been on the the whole, oh, good story, Kansas. Um, you know, if I was uh, Leipold, I would have been taking every interview uh possible whenever it was like a the four no the four no start um i i I do believe too that they're going to end up like six and six uh i just feel like that's uh this one's just like maybe the toughest one in my opinion right now um because i don't know if i necessarily believe tcu but i mean you kind of look at the results the past couple weeks here and um i i think like that the, the six and six or the zero and six is in the back half. Uh, it starts next week. The losing streak because I, I feel like the, the game day aspect, um, all the hype. Um, I don't know. Like I, I feel like um, I think they're going to. As far as the spread goes, um, I think it's going to be closer than seven. Uh, I do think Kansas ends up winning though, and then the sixty-seven and a half like. I think I'm going to take the under on that as well. Just a monster number. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know what? I, for one, would hate to see Kansas on a national stage <laughs> when they finally get their due, rank 19th, lay an absolute egg, and get housed by TCU. I would hate to see that. I would hate for all these people on Twitter to have to shut up after all this, oh, we want Kansas ranked. All these Texas Tech fans talking about one Kansas ranked, arguing with Don Williams, the Texas Tech writer, about how much they want Kansas ranked. I just don't understand. I would hate to see that. Uh, but as I've done every week, Kansas's opponent in the over. 
You're losing a lot on Kansas' opponent. I am, but 4-1 uh, and one on the over. 5-0 and oh against the spread. Yeah, well, that's 4-6. Hey, it's going to come crashing down <laughs> at some point. They're going to be dogs in the next seven. Yeah. Uh, this is another one early in the week when it was under touchdown. TCU minus 5.5 was all over that. I do think TCU is legit, at least on offense, and I think that's yeah. enough. because They have enough athletes on offense. Kansas is so bad defensively. Now, they held Iowa State to 11, but that included three missed field goals, and Iowa State looks like probably the worst offensive team in the conference. So give me the Frogs. I don't know about the total. I really don't pick totals that often. So uh, Frogs in that one. And then last but not least, the Dust Bowl dance, Red Dirt rivalry, whatever you want to call it. The uh, We had duels. We had shootouts. We had finger guns. I don't know. Whatever you want to call it, Texas Tech goes to Stillwater to play number seven Oklahoma State, down to a nine and a half point underdog when they opened at was it was it ten and a half at circa? Showing thirteen and a half on action, so it has moved toward Texas Tech. Um, the total is sixty nine and a half, so a lot of really pretty large totals in the Big Twelve this week. Uh, Thomas, do you think Texas Tech covers the nine and a half in Stillwater? So I'm of the belief that Donovan Smith has like good game, bad game, good game, bad game, good game. Um, he just, he, he rotates it out. And, you know, if, if that's the case, I think we're on like a good week here. Um, I do think that like we end up covering the points somehow just because it's, it's going to be uh, as, as you guys have dubbed dog uh, he's going to end up like, being just good enough to, to keep it a close one, but you know, we'll we'll still leave Stillwater three and three. Uh, the points, I, I just I, um, I mean, that defense is is too good. Um, the offense obviously sputters, and and I don't know if they're, you know, I don't know if either team is good enough to to score to to get the seventy over. But so I'll take the under. I, somehow I think that we, we end up like covering the, the nine and a half. Uh, and again, yeah, we come back three and three. Oklahoma state. And then we, we oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Then we what? Oh, all I was going to say, uh, I was just going to add the, uh, yeah. Donovan having a good game. And then of course, uh, everyone's least favorite conversation. Do we have a quarterback con- controversy coming out of Stillwater? Uh, and then we have to do uh, that all the bye week. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, not looking forward. Sorry to, that. to bring that up. Yeah, that's all right. We've already been having it, so uh, I'll go Oklahoma State and I'll take the under. I'm with both no. y'all. Um, I if the over hits, then we're having a great day offensively. I think. Yeah. I mean, Oklahoma State. I, I don't think it's good enough offensively, and you're not bad enough defensively to give up enough of that total on your uh, own. Sure, you're better than Arizona State, right? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I mean, if you could have that game and have them on the ropes at the end, I think you can make more plays than they could. Now, I do think this is not one that I jumped at the open, and because it moved under 10, I'm taking Oklahoma State to cover. Just got I think as a team, they're I mean, they're at home. They're they're the better team. If it had stayed at 10 and a half, that might have been just enough. Like, I, I think my final score prediction might be about a 10-point game. So I'm leaning Oklahoma State. I'm less confident in that than I am in the under. I just That, that total would be like a 40 to 30 type game, and that's not – what you've played so far this season, except when it goes overtime. But right, are you going to play your third overtime game this season? So, I like the under a lot. 
Hey, I hope you're playing in overtime. Two and zero. Sign me up for that. You cover. Um, well, I guess you can have a pick six. Yeah. So all three of us are on Oklahoma State in the under, right? No, uh, Mooney covered. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. He's the true Red Raider here. So this one is bound to go like fifty-two to forty-eight. Yeah. For the total. Okay. Right. Cool. <laughs> oh no, he picked under. Hey, what, I thought you meant. Uh, I know. Yeah, we all picked gotcha. under. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, see what I what I'm seeing here is. You know, more Morton at tight end, um, and and we end up like, you know, having some kind of reverse tight end play where he throws the the, the ball to Donovan, who leaked out, and that, that's how we end up scoring like more points. We end up like somehow our special teams end up uh, playing well enough to cover. I'm just joking here because that's clearly not we're not special teams, you, and we're not gadget play you just yet so that's the only way i can see us ever really <laughs> keeping up with guys with right now is if we uh you know we're, we just we end up being like the fourth down and somehow we create some special teams stuff that we just do obviously consistently do not do that is something i was going to bring but, up today is just emptying the playbook you you, you, you kind of have to this is your last Huge game, unless Kansas continues winning, unless TCU's undefeated when you play them in Fort Worth. This is like your last huge game um, on the road. Your your next two games, maybe Baylor, Oklahoma at the end. Who knows what Oklahoma's going to be. This is a spot early in the season where you can create some momentum. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd do everything. And to your point, if Baron Morton throws a Philly special touchdown to Donovan Smith, I'm, my head might explode. I don't know what I could do to that. Yeah. Hey, you know, I was going to ask you guys this was, um, you know, when they went Kansas city play Sunday night, um, yeah. we, we saw the, uh, the old, like they're on like the three, two yard line and Mahomes is in shotgun. And we have like the, uh, the backup tight end motioning and across gets under center and dives. Um, I'm not saying like um, Mason Tharp could can squat down that low or anything like that, but why why aren't we running like our our tight ends like that? If our tight ends are so giant and huge, and we're not wanting to put you know our quarterbacks under center, I feel like that's like a great play to just steal right there as far as goal line goes. Well, so Rob and I might actually be taking things a step or two further than you because we were drawing up wildcat packages for Jalen Hutchings who played running back in high school and like surely that guy yeah you direct snap it he can he can move the pile one yard right when you when you need fourth and goal or fourth and one or put him at fullback and hand it off for two yards yeah Uh, either way I want to see Jalen Hutchings tote the rock that's all I'm saying if even if it doesn't work I'll be so entertained (laughs) that I'll just tip my hat and and move on the forney flame the Jalen Hutchings yeah you know that they're the jackrabbits and he's for a 295-pound man, he moves like a jackrabbit. He's, he's pretty fleet of foot Fat for a guy late. that size. So th- that's what I would like to see down in the red zone and short yardage situations. Yeah, I'm all here for it. Let's we got to try some, some stuff like that. Um, all for it, yeah. All right, Thomas, tell us uh, where they can find you on uh, social media and maybe if you want to plug your book or your podcast, do whatever you want, man. Yeah, yeah, you guys can find me on like all the social stuff at underscore new slang. Uh, as Rob just said, last year around this time, I released a book called The Lubbock Way. It's about 
25 to 27 chapters, I guess, about uh, 25 nights, weekends here in Lubbock. Um, back around 2015 to 2017, stories about William Clark Green and Flatline Calvary and a bunch of folks like that that, I don't know, maybe maybe you guys can will find entertaining. And um, yeah, anyways, thanks for, for, for having me on. Yeah, we really appreciate you joining us. Um, like we said at the intro, just kind of wanted to take a unique look at this game, given the the red dirt music scene in both towns. And um, I, I really appreciate your insight and making some picks with us. And uh, hopefully, some of them, at least half of them, or so, are are correct on Saturday. I was gonna play uh, red dirt or not red dirt with country music artists, but I got the 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 uh, Garth Brooks one in there, yeah. so I won't make you go through a bunch of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I was going to throw out, maybe this is for the Twitter poll uh, or a Twitter just Q&A, is the, you know, which uh, which musician makes like the best, you know, football player or basketball player? Who do you who, who do you guys have? You know, um, I, I've, I, I will have to think on that, too, so I don't have really an answer. So yeah. maybe we just throw that on Twitter. That's a good question. Hey, we're going to close out this episode with a song. What's your favorite song that either references Oklahoma or, or Stillwater? Yeah, let's see here. Oklahoma. Uh, well, let's see. Um, are we going to go some show tunes? No, I'm just kidding. Not. Yeah. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think you, you, you kind of have to go like Oklahoma Breakdown. Stony the Roo. That's the right answer, in my opinion. It was a quiz. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, awesome. Let's, uh, or, or, I mean, that or uh, Boys from Oklahoma. You can go either way. We got to save that it's one for OU week. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Grab the edited version. Yeah, we don't want to get canceled. No. All right. Hey, uh, thanks, Thomas. Yeah, for sure. We'll see y'all. See you later, man. Welcome back to the Discord mailbag. If you want to join the Discord, go to patreon.com slash gauchos. The Discord mailbag brought to you by Diversified Lenders. Go to diversifiedlenders.com to figure out what they do. But if you need help paying your employees, if you need equipment, if you uh, need to rent something for your business, like some, some big equipment, you can call them and they can get you squared away. Diversifiedlenders.com. Red Raider owned and operated. First question off the Discord mailbag, a little bit of a deep cut. If you know, you know. If you're in the Discord, you know. Should BJ have started over Cliff? We're going to be able to ask BJ that, I think, soon. Hint, hint. I think the statute of limitations has passed. It's been 20 years. We tried to get him to say it uh, on the last podcast. And I, you know, I, I went back and looked because I was, I always thought that, that BJ should have got another year. Um, I went back and looked and Cliff had 5,000 yards his senior year. And, and, I, and I did not remember that. Um, 100 total threw, touchdowns. Threw for a lot of touchdowns too. So I I don't know. I think maybe BJ thinks he should have and, and hey, more power to him. I would too. And the season he had after that, the season BJ had after that, uh, you might say, well, you could only imagine what BJ would have done with Cliff's senior season. So maybe so. BJ stayed put, waited his turn, right? Whether that was delayed or not, and was extremely successful. Yeah, 
and I'll ask him this, I'll ask him a pointed question. Why are you advocating that others don't do the same thing that was very successful for you? You set an NCAA record doing that. I don't know if you should start. I was too young to – it's hard to argue with BJ's success, though, and think, right. like, surely if he could do that when he was 23, he could do it when he was 22. Right. But but Cliff wasn't bad enough to make a change, though. Like, they, they just had two really good quarterbacks on the roster. Well, and something, something BJ said this week was um, – when when Sumlin and Cliff got to A and M, they had Johnny Manziel on the roster. He's a redshirt freshman, and they didn't wait around for him, even though he wasn't ready. They just threw him out there, and maybe that's what you could do with Baron. But they had an NFL offensive line, and a lot of adva- and, well, they had and Mike Evans, Mike Evans, and that's not something that Texas Tech has. So. Christian Kirk a little bit later, yeah. Uh, well, even like just that first year, you had Mike Evans, you had an NFL running back and an NFL offensive line with the Jokel and the boys. So it was like, okay. I I mean, I, I understand. And again, I said this uh, today on the Rob Bro Show, kkm.com uh, or talk1039 locally, one o'clock to two every day. You can think three three things about this quarterback room at the same time. Like It doesn't have to be, I think this and everything else is wrong. I thought Donovan was the right decision because of uh, he had experience. You're having to come in for an injury. You didn't win the job, but you're going in because Shuck went down. And I think he's played good. Four and four against rank, all ranked opponents is better than any other quarterback since 2013. I'm going to push back on that. Houston happened to be ranked at the time, but lumping them in okay. there as if they're a good team is a little bit disingenuous. Sure, and you were favored in that game. It was Iowa State ranked last year. Because they had already... Or they were favored. Okay. And that's not... That's a, the five straight ranked would be this year. Oh, okay. I thought you said he was four and four versus ranked teams. Uh, four and four against teams that he's played. Okay. All power five. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, you know, Johnny gets to come in against group of five. Or whoever they played in the first week. I, I don't remember the A&M schedule. Florida. Top ten Florida. Week one? A hurricane thing, so they oh, yeah. didn't get a warm up game in like week two That's as true. SEC play. That's true. And he actually did pretty good, but but yeah, I get I get. What Anyways, you're offensive offensive yeah. line and everything. Um, so so I think I think Donovan's played well, mostly. Obviously, some poor spots. Obviously, some poor spots. But I think a lot of that is too maybe some offensive line issues. Uh, the second thing I think I think Tyler Shuck should start when he comes back. That's the second thing I think. I'm with you. Not really to go into. The third thing I think, I want to see Baron Morton on the field as a quarterback, not as a freaking tight end. It's just like, I think all of those things. I I wouldn't put Baron Morton in quarter one against Oklahoma State and Stillwater in his first action. But against West Virginia in the second half? Against Baylor, against any team you play in the second, against Kansas, yeah, I would put Baron Morton out there. I just want, like, I just want to see him. What I'm not understanding is people are so impatient with Morton. They're like, I thought he was supposed to be the future. Oh, right. He's in yeah. his red shirt freshman season. It's yeah. not like the expiration date is about to hit. Right. And, and they're right. In today's transfer portal, he's not going to sit for four years. But the okay, he was playing three A ball two years ago. But how often outside of Blue bloods, do you see true freshmen come in and start? Only out of necessity, or only if it's a blue chip prospect, right? Or out of necessity. Like, can we give him two years to get acclimated to college life, learn the playbook in his second offense? 
Yeah, two and offenses. Then he can start in year three and have three full years of eligibility left. Is that just waiting too long? I don't think it is. I guess it's because BJ and well, I don't want to say for sure on BJ, but like Cody Hodges, I remember him doing a radio interview in Baron Morton Committee. He was like, yeah, he's going to start as a true freshman. Like he was that high on him. And we all think he's incredibly talented. He still can be. He still can be just what everybody thought he was. He's just not going to start I yet. I think some people just had in their mind that he was right. that good. He's going to show up day one, true freshman, and start. And that obviously is not the case. I mean, Graham Harrell even started in year three, right? Year three. And people wanted him benched in the middle of year three. I mean, you had that stretch. I mean, um, he played a little bit in year two because, um, you know, getting up or whatever. But BJ, Sonny, and Hodges all didn't play till year five. Uh-huh. Harold didn't play till year three. Potts was year five, right? Or no, year uh, four. Because he played two years. He had two years left. Daigie was in year four, I think, as a redshirt junior. And then he played two years. When three he finally. Yeah. And then after that, out of necessity. My, then you had to play a true freshman. Michael Pruitt broke his back. You had a, a freshman scholarship and a freshman walk-on. Mm-hmm. And even and then, then... the next year, hey, you put, you started a freshman the last four or five games because Davis Webb got hurt. Baker Mayfield won a Heisman Trophy, but he wasn't a Heisman candidate his first year. He looked like a freshman out there. Yeah. He got sacked nine times against Texas. So, and then he took a year off at OU, and then he comes back, and all of a sudden, he's lighting the world on fire. Like, maybe it's okay to wait till year three to get these guys ready. Yeah, and I, I, again, in the right spots, I would absolutely play Baron Morton. And I don't think that you've had a right spot yet beyond the Murray State no, game. You haven't. So I'm not, I'm not bemoaning what the coaching staff is doing. I just like personally, and, and I'll wait. But personally, I want to see Baron Morton play. But that's just like a, a personal preference for me. Uh, otherwise, look, Donovan has been good. Tyler Shrek will start when he comes back, and Baron Morton should play. I think all of those three things simultaneously. When Texas Tech wins the 2022 Dust Bowl, who leads the team in receiving yards? Recency bias is Xavier White. Um, I'm going to go Trey Cleveland. That's pretty much what I was down to. I'm going to go Xavier White because of seeing Oklahoma State's vulnerabilities over the middle of the field. Yeah which plays more to Xavier White's position than Trey Cleveland's. Dark Horse, Nehemiah Martinez. Mm-hmm. For which, that reason. Which position group or groups have shown the greatest improvement over the season to this point? Defensive line. Linebacker. Do you want a hot take? Mm-hmm. Nobody else has improved. <laughs> As a whole. As a whole, I think individual players have improved, but but I don't think you look at a a certain position group and say, "Wow, they have you know transformed from beginning to end." Had you asked me after the Texas game, I would have said quarterback. Yeah. Um, might have even said offensive line, but then you just regressed so bad against Kansas State. Yep. That I I think it, it was probably more of a a one off. I think the DBs struggled against Murray State. Maybe that was a fluke, but they've looked really solid since then. Yeah, they. you could say the defense as a whole, I think, but they've just been good all year. It's not like they've improved a bunch. The defense or the DBs? The defense. Yeah, now, the de- that's why I wouldn't give it to the defensive line because right. they started good and they're still good. Right. So I wouldn't give them most improved. And the DBs, like a lot of the Adrian Martinez stuff was 
them not making the tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you you really look at DBs as you know passing and whatever else, but they also gave up a couple of bad touchdowns to. I mean, they completely lost the guy on the fake play the the against NC State. Pretty much all their touchdowns have been blown coverages. I mean, they they've completely missed on uh, Xavier Worthy coming across the field, yeah. and then even the first touchdown, the guy coming out of the backfield, you just completely forget about, it, and that could have been a linebacker. But it's, it it is a little worrisome that you're so good on defense eighty seven percent of the time, and then. You know, thirteen percent of the time you're just missing huge plays or getting gashed by Adrian Martinez. Which group, aside from the offensive line, needs to show out the most to give us the best chance against Xerox U? I would say defensive line because of the Spencer Sanders factor. Quarterback. Okay. Because you can't turn the ball over seven times in two games sure. and win. Yeah. And I- again, I know that the offensive line is an issue. And people think that absolves the quarterback of everything. I'd rather adjust expectations and say, okay, our starting point is that the offensive line is bad. So the quarterback needs to evade the rush, make adjustments. The play call, the play caller needs to make adjustments as well to put the quarterback yeah. in better spots. The receivers need to get open quicker, look quicker. I don't know. But you can't see the you can't see the receivers all the time. But it sure looks like they're not looking back at Donovan until they're six or seven yards down the field, even when you need three. And with this offensive line, it just doesn't make sense. Like, you should be immediately looking for the ball on a slant. Who's your least favorite Big 12 ref? <laughs> Whoever blew their whistle. Yeah, all, all of them. All of them. I don't have a favorite. Power rank the Picadors. Honestly, I would have done this had I seen it earlier and we didn't have so many, but now there's too many. Good cop out. I would say of the OGs, that uh, is my favorite. I really don't like, um, but you know the rest of them in between. I I could go, you know, any which way. I think, but there's definite top and bottom with those two. All right, we'll do start bench cut, and I'll name three picadors. Okay. All right, start bench cut. Um, Maddie, uh-huh, Chuck, and uh, Bill Walton's kid. Ooh, okay. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start Chuck because longtime Twitter friends, even uh, an early supporter of the Gauchos, even before the Picadors were a thing. Um, not that the other two were late, but I also kind of want to. Cutting board for free. So I'm going to start him. What's funny is I met Chuck or, or, or was introduced to Chuck or maybe even just told about Chuck. That's not his name. Uh, maybe a decade ago. <laughs> and I, I didn't, I didn't put the two and two together because one of my buddies did some work for him or something like website work or something. Okay. So you're starting Chuck, starting Chuck, uh, benching Maddie cause he's sensitive and I don't want to cut him. And then uh, cutting Bill Walton's kid because he's not going to go to the Texas Rangers game with me tomorrow. Okay, so I've got a, a different answer. I'm starting Bill Walton's kid because he's he's partly my good luck charm. So the uh, Houston game that I'm responsible for the win when I moved out of BJ's suite, we go on a yeah. 24 run. Went and sat game. with him. I was with him, so I have to give him credit for that. 
Um, I'm cutting Maddie because he's just such a liability. He's such a loose cannon. I can't be held responsible, right? That's my favorite part about it. Oh, I know. Like, you love it, but, you know, a little too erratic for me. So, no hard feelings, Maddie. <laughs> more like more like Mateo no playo because he just got cut. Mm. Um, and then I'm benching Chuck because he's, um, he's eager, which is great. A lot of energy. But sometimes the energy guys, they need it reined in a little bit. So he's perfect off the bench. You take him in spurts. Like he's the hot tag. Spark plug. In professional wrestling, yeah. Yeah. But I don't want to cut him, but I can't start him either. It's energy overload. So off the bench in spots is perfect. Cutting Maddie, starting Bill Walton's kid. Final thoughts. So all three of those got a different <laughs> answer on both of us. Um, if you want us to start bench cut you, join the uh, Parlay Picadors on Patreon. terrified now. We're going to get a bunch of cancellations. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Gambling Gauchos. Thank you to our sponsors. Cardinal Sports Center, Rehino Barbecue, Diversified Lenders, 230 Kickoff in Stillwater. Big rivalry game. It looks like Dust Bowl is going to win the Twitter poll. I liked Red Dirt rivalry. I didn't think it was a knockoff of Red River rivalry. No. I still prefer it. I don't like Dust Bowl at all. But hey, let's go win the first ever Dust Bowl, 50th edition of this game, and let's keep the all-time series lead. I would hate to... That's a cool little star asterisk that you can say we've never trailed this. Now, if we do drop it, I'll say we've led for 92 out of 93 years of this, you know. And then we'll get it back someday. Well, and let's look at the whole next decade where you're going to win, you know, right. eight out of ten. Look, yeah. Gundy can only keep it rolling for so long. You can only be in your best decade ever for so long. And Oklahoma State's been there for a decade and a half. Yeah. But uh, we're coming out of ours. So we'll get them back. And uh, if they don't want to make it a rivalry, they can go face off against Tulsa. No, <laughs> just It's either us oh, or Tulsa. Face. face. Yeah, yeah. Face off. Yeah. Against Tulsa. <laughs> Uh, it's us or Tulsa. So I hope it's us, and uh, we'll have some Red Dirt music to play us out today. Love y'all. Love y'all. Break down. You sure do got you crying. So let me take.